What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the show, the Mind vs. Muscle podcast. Today, we got another Q&A, which I love doing because it's a great way just for me to sit down and really answer your questions and, and give feedback on what you actually want to talk about, what you actually want to learn. Um, there's nothing I enjoy more. But before we get into the show, I want to give one quick announcement on something I recently released on Black Friday. What I had released was an ebook. It's my brand new ebook, and I'm super pumped about it because essentially it's it really is years and years of just uh, experience with just hundreds and hundreds of clients working on nutrition specifically, troubleshooting my own nutrition, and just studying over the years. I boiled it down into a 60-page ebook based on what I actually do with a client, what I see most common with a client, and how to structure your own nutrition. Now, obviously, there's an individualized piece of coaching with me one-on-one, and, and that goes in uh, a lot of that goes into play when I'm working with a client. But I try to do my best to break it down in an ebook where you can learn exactly how to calculate your calories properly, how to calculate your macros properly, how to cycle those, how to do refeeds, how to structure meal timing, what micronutrients you need to worry about, vitamins and minerals, um, how much water you need, how much fiber you need, does meal timing and frequency matter, how to adjust that along the way when it does matter, what supplements are bullshit and which ones are legit and worth investing in. So I literally cover everything you need to know about dieting for fat loss, dieting for muscle gain, or dieting for performance. It's a really, really in-depth ebook and I'm super pumped about it. If you want to learn more about this ebook and uh, see what it's all about, click the link in the show notes. It'll be the first link in the show notes, and you can see what this ebook is all about. It's called The Nutrition Hierarchy The All Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. Once again, I'm super pumped about it. Wanted to share that with you guys. And without further ado, on to the QA. All right, we're going to start with a question that I literally got twice last week, and I think I've been asked this at least 10 times in the last month or two, right? And I've literally just sent people lists. So the question has been, what are you currently reading? And I think it's funny because everybody always wants to know what books you're reading, what audiobooks, what podcasts are you listening to? Um, and I get it. You want to increase, I guess, your realm of what you're studying and and I'm always the same so I always ask my mentors the exact same question Um, so currently what I am reading is there's a couple things one I have to shout out mass which is a research review Um, if you're if you're a trainer and you're looking for something to like be on like keep your finger on the pulse go go to mass I think it's it's pretty cheap it's got to be like 20 bucks a month or something like that um, where you get the like cutting edge research that they are diving into in their setting, but broken down into layman terms, broken down into something that you can actually read and then utilize and take away like action steps with rather than reading a research review that goes way over your head because it's in scientific terms and they're using formulas and shit that you, we just don't understand, right? It's it's completely different than reading PubMed. So that's one thing. Um, they come out with like five studies uh, a month. And I, I, I'm always reading them. So I usually try to jump in there every single night and I, I read a study that has been done in the past or I read a new one. Um, what I'm reading every single morning is called The Four by Scott Galloway. And this book is pretty badass. It's uh, about the big four, um, the four horsemen, you could say, of uh, business. And it's Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple. And these guys are a monster. And I will say it's almost overwhelming hearing – 
what they are doing in the in, in the world in general with money and, and just how much control and power they have and the plans that they are dividing in. But the book is basically going the background of what they do, how they built these companies up to what they are today, and then also what the next move is essentially. So the funny – the cool thing about them is they all have some specific things in common. So if you're a business owner and you want to learn more about these monster companies and how they developed into what they are today, I highly suggest The Four. Um, another book I am reading is called uh, The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes, which is um, – I'm almost done. My mentor gave it to me, um, Jason Phillips. He he gave that to me when I was out in Vegas with him. And um, that's a really powerful book for any man trying to just learn more about himself, learn more about why we act the way we act and why we think the way we think, why we react the way we react. Um, and for women too, if, if you want to learn more about your man and, and the dumb shit he does and, and why he acts the way he does. But it's a really, really powerful book from the mindset perspective. So that's what I'm reading right now. Um, just figured I'd throw that in there since I've been asked that so many times. Now I'm going to get into the questions I have today. We got um, about six questions today, and we're going to start with Sarah Patterson. She says, what are good ways to increase your metabolism and reduce inflammation? Also, I reduced my calories by about 250 to 300 a day and increased my workouts for the last six weeks and have stayed the same or gained weight. When I increase my calories, I gain weight too. What can I do? So this is a couple things. Um, one, increase your metabolism and reduce inflammation is two different things. Those are two different things. Um, let's start with reduce inflammation because that's really easy and we can just nip that in the butt in, in, in a minute. So reducing inflammation comes down to a few things. One, I think the most important thing that people need to do is reduce stress. Like if you reduce stress, you sleep more, you're going to have less uh, inflammation because training isn't going to take such a big hit on you. The next thing I would do is balance out your your ratio of omega-3 fatty acids to omega-6 fatty acids. This ratio in our body is very important to watch and I see a lot of people, um, in fact, America in general, the United States in general, has a very, very high omega-6 ratio compared to omega-3. So our ratio between the two is kind of out of whack. And what this does is causes a lot of inflammation. It causes a lot of weight gain. It causes a lot of metabolic issues. just causes a lot of issues in general. And, and the main reason is, is as most people know, um, the American diet, the American culture with grains and all these different products that have come out over the years, they're all really high in omega-6 fatty acids. Now, omega-6 fatty acids aren't necessarily unhealthy. You do need them in a, in a certain amount of quantity, but omega-3 fatty acids are essential for life and we are missing those because they are in predominantly in fatty fish, but also in like um, certain nuts have a small amount on um, walnuts, stuff like that, but it's, it's not like the typical nuts people are eating. Um, let's see, cage-free eggs are going to be high in omega-3, but we got to remember that if we're searching for nutrients in, it's in, it's, it's in a, a poorly raised chicken, that's not cage-free, that's, that's been fed grains and soy and all the corn products and stuff, the omega-3 is going to be damaged. It's not going to be the same. So you really got to balance out that ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 to reduce that inflammation. The next thing I would say is honestly just reducing processed sugar and processed foods in general. Now, I, I, I very much believe in flexible dieting and with all my nutrition clients, I, I practice flexible dieting quite a bit because I do believe that for sanity and longevity, you need to be flexible. You need to fit in a beer. You need to have a burger here and there. You need to be able to have small things. Like for example, like salads are great for you, but dressing is horrible. But if you can't allow yourself to have some dressing that's not the best for you or some ketchup like I do with all my meals, 
you're going to go crazy. So being able to be flexible is important. But at the same time, if your diet is filled with processed shit, you're going to have a lot of inflammation. So just focusing on whole foods, like a, a saying I always do is there's a couple things. One, 80 to 90% of your nutrition should probably be whole foods. Um, or you can focus on eating foods that were are grown from the ground or once we're living on the ground. So pretty much live animals and or produce, right? If you can focus on those things, you're going to reduce inflammation significantly. Um, and last but not least, just get in shape, right? But I think – or <laughs> I should say get in shape but don't take it too far. If you're overtraining, you're going to have more inflammation. So make sure you're taking care of your body. Now, what are good ways to increase your metabolism? This is a loaded question because there is no – like I'm not going to tell you, oh, put more cayenne pepper on your foods and that's going to spark your metabolism. Um, little things like that are like the minutia, right? That's splitting hairs and yes, they do have a metabolic effect but it's so small that it's not something you really need to worry about too much. The biggest thing with metabolism is making sure that you're not chronically under eating and that you're training properly. So if you train too much and you're overtraining, your metabolism will take a hit. If you're not training at all, your metabolism is going to be slow too because it doesn't need to be fast. Um, if you're under eating, your, met- your metabolism is going to adapt and slow down, right? So we got to remember that when we eat calories, more calories is really what increases our metabolism. Um, our metabolism isn't based off of how many meals a day we eat. It's based off of how much calories we eat. So if you're eating very, very low calories, your metabolism is going to adapt to that. But at the same token, if you eat too much, you're going to gain fat and that's not going to be a good thing either. Um, and I think this is this is obviously a case of your metabolism being slow, right? You you said also I reduced my calories by 250 to 300 a day and increased my workouts for the last six weeks and I've stayed the same or gained weight. The first mistake I see in there is that you made two big adjustments at once. See, if I make two or three adjustments at once and whether you get results or you do not, I don't even know what's making the needle move, right? So we got to adjust one thing at a time to really be aware of what's going on in your body. Um, On top of that, if you're decreasing calories and increasing workouts at the same time and you stay the same or gained weight, that tells me that your body is in need of recovery. Your thyroid is probably downregulated a little bit um, as well as other hormones because once the thyroid takes a hit, usually our metabolism takes a hit. Usually cortisol goes up a little bit, which uh, therefore makes the metabolism take another hit. So my best advice for you is to stop pushing fat loss, stop pushing weight loss, take a deload, take a break, try to actually increase your calories slowly so you don't gain too much fat, but you need to slowly increase your calories so you can actually allow your body to resynthesize hormones, right? Um, And I'm going to talk more about this whole resynthesization. I'm going to talk about resynthesizing your hormones in a little bit when I get to a question regarding nutritional periodization. But the big thing here is we need to remember that the goal should be to eat as many calories while losing weight as possible. So I think that you're probably chronically dieting. Your metabolism is probably a little slow. Your thyroid's a little bit slow. And, and the best way to, to increase your metabolism and lose fat in the long run is actually going to be slowing down. You can't train too much. You can't diet too hard. You need to slow down. You need to take a break. You need to recover. You need to focus on that above all else. But again, the best thing to do is actually refer back to, um, I don't even know what episode it was, but I did an episode recently all about metabolism. So I did 13 reasons your metabolism is slow, I believe it was. Um, Well, at least I know I wrote a newsletter on that, but the point is go visit the old podcast all based on metabolism. I'll also put a... uh, a link in the show notes to go visit my newsletter. So 
I wrote a newsletter not long ago called 13 Reasons Your Metabolism is Slow or something along those lines. And it literally breaks down the most common reasons and the most common indications that allow you to realize if your metabolism is actually slow. Because I see a lot of people are like, oh, I'm getting old. My metabolism is slow. That's why I'm not losing weight. And we look at their health markers and it's like, you know what? I don't think your metabolism is slow. I think XYZ is actually your issue. So it's good to know if that's actually the problem before putting all your eggs in that basket and trying to focus on that one thing. So I'll put links to the show note for that um, newsletter so you can check that out. Next question, Michael Ruiz. 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 Sorry, bro. I don't, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Help me out there. Sometimes I go to the gym in the mornings, sometimes in the afternoons. Should I stay in the same meal timing and frequency? For some reason, I have a strong feeling I actually answered this question last time on the podcast, but we're going to answer it again just in case I didn't and I want to help you out. Sometimes I go in the gym in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, should I stay? So I would say yes. Like I believe that there's a couple things with this. One, meal timing and frequency is uh, it's at the towards the top of the pyramid. And, and something I mentioned in the beginning, the intro of the podcast was my new ebook, and I break this down in that ebook. So again, that link is in the show notes if you want to check it out. But essentially, we got to look at calories first, then we got to look at macros first, then we got to look at micronutrients to make sure you're healthy, then we look at meal timing and frequency. So my first answer to your question is if you haven't focused on those first three parts of the pyramid of the or the nutrition hierarchy, then I would uh, stop and look at those things first. Next, I would look at carbohydrates. So if you have your meal timing locked in, your frequency locked in, you like eating four meals a day, keep it that way and just change your carbs around a little bit. Um, at the end of the day, carbs are stored for really essentially like 24 to 46 or uh, 36 hours, 48 hours maybe. Um, that's what studies have shown that they're stored for before being actually utilized for glycogen. So when you eat a pre-workout meal of carbs, you're not really utilizing that carbohydrate source right away. But what we do know is that it helps balance out the ratio of your dopamine and serotonin levels that will actually help your energy. So, And that's because of the consumed of carbs. And everybody's different. If you feel better on no carbs before training, then I think you should go with no carbs because – that's probably uh, – you're probably dominant in a certain ratio of dopamine and serotonin that you're not going to want to eat carbs before. And we've talked about this on the podcast, Theo and I, before. Uh, but if you feel good on carbs, I think you should eat carbs before. And the main reason being is carbs pre and post-workout are just essentially going to be better utilized. We know that training hard allows us to be more insulin sensitive and because of that, we're going to absorb carbohydrates better. So you might not be using that carbohydrate right then for training. You're probably going to store it for tomorrow's training session. But we know that you're going to absorb it and, and store it in glycogen, muscle glycogen better than you would um, eating it just at some random point in the day. So the only thing I would change about your meals if you're training in the morning versus the afternoon is really just where you're placing your carbs. It's going to be most beneficial to place your carbs around your training. But again, at the end of the day, if your daily macros and calories are on point, it doesn't matter too much. It's kind of splitting hairs. But I know there's a lot of people listening to this who, who have their macros and calories on point every day and they're still plateaued. So this would be in your case. Adjust that. The other thing I will add to this is that they did some studies that showed – it doesn't matter how many meals a day you eat, but it does matter that you keep that uh, meal frequency in check. And what I mean by that is studies showed that your body will actually be uh, have lower insulin levels, have better insulin levels, be more insulin sensitive, and actually have a better rate of weight loss or fat loss or building muscle because of these insulin levels 
if you keep your routine the same. So essentially all this means is our body likes routine. And this is why I believe macronutrients work so well because when your body is used to consuming the same amount of calories and macros every day, it's going to get used to you, uh, taking in that much fuel and then utilizing it as fuel for performance. Right, So we want to create rhythm. We want to create routine. We want to create something that our body can get familiar with. And uh, this study showed that meal timing is the same thing. So if you eat four meals a day every day, I would be focused on consuming those same meals in the same routine more than anything. Just keep it at like if you normally eat between 9 and 10 and then you normally eat between 2 and 3 and then you normally eat between 6 and 7 – Perfect. Keep those three meals at the same times. Try to keep your macros pretty aligned and then you're going to get some better results. That's the only really like the main thing, uh, big takeaway from that. All right. Next question. Franco Guzman. I like this question a lot actually. So um, he had a couple questions. First one – actually, let's go with the second one first because it's a little bit easier. I know the importance of NEAT. So NEAT for anybody listening who doesn't know is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So basically like fidgeting, walking, moving, just your daily daily activities that aren't exercise that create a thermogenic effect or a calorie burn. He said, I know the importance of NEAT. You guys have mentioned it, mentioned it in the past, but I was wondering how much do you guys play that into your caloric intake programming? So what I'll do with this is – Essentially, when I'm creating a a nutrition plan for somebody and I'm looking at calories in versus calories out, we can take this neat and kind of give them a little more buffer room, a little more calories to play with at the beginning because we know they move more, right? If I get a construction worker, I know he's going to be able to take in more calories than a desk job uh, person is. Like a desk jockey isn't going to be moving as much, so they're not going to be burning as many calories, so in that sense, yes, we can take that information uh, because we know his need is more and, and add them into his calories in the beginning. But what I would have most people consider is that that's going to be a direct reflect of where they're at currently, right? So when I when I program for somebody and I look at where their calories are at already, they're probably consuming the amount of calories they're consuming because – their level of neat causes more hunger than the other person, right? So if you take two people, a construction worker versus a desk jockey, most likely naturally the construction worker is just going to consume more calories because he's moving more frequently. And because of that, I usually don't have to worry about this. Um, I also know that regardless of that, wherever they've been at – so when I look at a client, I take at least one to two weeks of their past nutrition, their past caloric intake. Um, And if they don't have it, then I have them start tracking so we can look at that. And I look at where their calories are at. So I base everything off of where they're currently at and where they need to be. So I really don't believe that NEAT needs to take too much of a role in where I set their initial calories. But when I have somebody in for fat loss, I will program out NEAT into their overall program to make sure that they are burning enough calories to get to their goal. So if somebody wants to lose body fat, I will absolutely program 10,000 steps to get them moving a little bit more, to get them burning more calories without having to add in a bunch of cardio, uh, which is going to take more time in the gym. It's going to be more stress. And then there's a title on it, right? When I know I have to do more cardio, it's like a burden. I don't want to do it. But if I know I just have to hit my steps, I'm going to just get up and move more throughout the day and just make sure I hit my steps, right? Um, So that is something I program in people's program when they want fat loss. Um, And then I can adjust along the way, right? If you're at 10K steps a day and then uh, after a while we plateau, I can bump that up to 11, 12, 13, and so on and so forth until we get to your, your goal. And then just like anything else, I can reverse it back down to a normal moving amount. 
And it's not going to take a metabolic hit like cardio will, right? If you're doing hours of cardio, that can be damaging to the metabolism. But steps and and neat is a good way to not harm the body, not harm the hormones, and not harm uh, the central nervous system recovery-wise too much while still getting a good result. His other question, how long would you recommend someone to be on a deficit? I know that that if it's working, why stop? But at some point, you should go on uh, maintenance calories, no? And this is where nutrition periodization kind of comes into play, right? So I'm of the belief um, from ex- – there's no like hard evidence studies. There's some studies that kind of tiptoe around this idea but nothing too hard. Um, but I've heard other people talk about this exact same thing. And again, it's all from just experience from myself and others working with hundreds of clients is that – you should probably diet anywhere between 8 to 12 weeks and then take a maintenance phase if you can. Now, obviously, if you have a wedding, you have a photo shoot, or you have a competition, and it's in 20 weeks, we're going to diet for 20 weeks straight. But in an ideal world, if I have a client who says, next summer, in one year from now, I want to be 50 pounds lighter, I want to feel good with my shirt off, and I want to I want to be lean. Well, I'm going to plan ahead and go, okay, we're going to take the next eight weeks to diet hard or 12 weeks to diet moderately hard, right? We're going to go at it. We're going to create a deficit. We're going to live in that deficit. We're going to focus on fat loss-based training. We're going to really go after it. So we spend that eight to 12 weeks doing so. This is enough time to see some serious results. People know that we can lose one, two, maybe even three pounds for some of those weeks per week. Therefore, we can make a big chunk, a big uh, chip in this fat loss goal in that eight to 12-week period. At about 12 weeks is when we're going to start feeling the biofeedback marker. So when, uh, for anybody who has ever coached with me, they know that my, my update forms every week look at biofeedback. So I'm, I'm in tune every week with where my client sleeps at, where their performance is at, where their energy is at, if they're restless or not, um, if they're craving things, if they're hungry, if they're moody. I ask questions within our email conversation to, to kind of pinpoint those things because – at about 12 weeks, we're probably going to start noticing these things. Like I'm getting tired of dieting. I'm, I'm not sleeping as good. Performance is starting to dip. I'm hungry. At that point, we can start seeing some signs or we're just before it. So usually it depends. At about 8 to 12 weeks is when I'll pull back. So we know these things, right? If you're in a serious deficit, that is. When you get to about this point, we know that we can pull back and go closer to a maintenance level of calories. Now, we're going to spend about at least one week at maintenance, which would be a diet break, but up to four weeks. And depending on the person, it could be three months. So the difference is, is if we have control over the whole thing, you're really only going to spend one to four weeks tops at a maintenance. If you've been chronic dieting for six plus months and we know that your metabolism shot, your thyroid's hurting, your hormones are hurting, then I'm going to spend three to six months trying to repair your hormones. But that's a different scenario. So if I put somebody in a deficit, I'm going to target them at this deficit for eight to 12 weeks. Depending on how they're feeling, I will take one to four weeks of a diet break. If I take one week, I'm going to bring them up to a maintenance level calories, if not maybe even a surplus, pretty much all through carbs. So they're probably going to gain a little bit of weight from just water retention, sodium retention, bloat. Um, they're not going to gain much fat, if at all, uh, but they are going to feel much better. It's going to be harder to hit their calories. By the end of that week, their metabolism is going to be back up. We kind of resynthesize these hormones. Their recovery is going to be great. They're going to have their sanity, so they're not going to be tired of dieting. Um, and essentially, we... we avoided any hormonal issues that could possibly happen. 
Now, let's say you gained a few pounds during that week because of bloat and all that stuff. Well, when we go back to your deficit, you'll lose that in a week just because it was water. But now we're going back into the diet with a healthy metabolism, a healthy thyroid, healthy testosterone if you're a guy, um, low cortisol, low stress levels, and we are ready to diet again efficiently. Now, if somebody went 12 to 16 weeks, I might take a full month closer to a maintenance. Now, they could still be technically in a calculated deficit because they're not going all the way back up to their calculated maintenance, or they could be at their maintenance. The point is, is I'm bringing calories up enough to get those biofeedback markers better. The things like sleep, the things like metabolism, how they're feeling, um, their their core temperature, right? Are you cold all the time? All right, let's bump it up. Because if you're hot at night, if you're sweating in your sleep, we know your metabolism's cranking. Um, so there's certain things we want to look for. As a coach, that's my best advice. I would recommend somebody be in a deficit for 8 to 12 weeks because that creates enough time to really see some fat loss, really see some weight loss, and then take anywhere between 1 to 4 weeks either at or close to a maintenance where we're just trying to maintain our weight, we're trying to feel better, and we're constantly recording these biofeedback markers, okay? Um, this is something I even do personally. I don't have a nutrition coach right now. I have uh, four coaches in my life, literally, uh, but nothing for nutrition. I have training coach, I have business coach, life and relationship coach, but what I do is I journal my own nutrition. I journal my own biofeedback. So when I take this time to bump up my calories, I will journal how I'm sleeping, how my digestion is, how my mood is, how my energy is, And then that kind of bases off the next step, right? But the cool thing about this is a couple things. One, we're re, like I said, we're resynthesizing our nutrition, our uh, hormonal uh, balances essentially, making sure nothing, if anything was downregulated, we're bringing it back up or we're just making sure that we don't. So even if you're at 12 weeks, you feel great, I would still suggest doing this at least for a week because it makes sure that in four weeks, if you would have continued dieting, that you're not going to feel those effects of downregulated hormones, which is huge for longevity and diet. Okay, so this is basically what nutrition periodization is. So if you're in the long run for things, I would highly suggest implementing this or find somebody who can help you implement this because it makes a world of a difference when you want to get to a goal and actually keep your goal. And that's honestly why, a little side rant, like America doesn't have a problem losing weight. America has a problem keeping weight off. Like they've done studies on this. Diets work and we are, as a country, we diet more than anybody and we successfully diet more than anybody. But the issue is, People don't know what to do after the diet. So if we can focus on periodizing our nutrition and taking these diet phases, maintenance phases, resynthesization phases, those things will cure the – cure the the issue or fix the issue of us falling off afterwards and gaining all that weight back. Another thing this this maintenance phase does is actually lets our body fat – set point reset. Now, there hasn't been a lot of studies on this, but there is some evidence um, and really just experience done from people who practice this exact same thing I'm talking about. And what they notice is, let's say we lose 20 pounds in 12 weeks. We crank fat loss up, you lose a bunch of weight, and you're still losing weight and you're feeling good, but we're going to take a good like I said, one to four weeks off, specifically four weeks if we want to f- focus on this next point that I'm going to make. That four-week period of bringing it back up to maintenance is going to allow your body fat set point to actually reset. So let's say you were at 300 pounds. Well, 300 pounds has been your body weight for the last five years. So it's safe to say that's your body fat set point. If we lose 20 pounds and then take a month off, 
and allow our body fat to reset at that point, we just try to maintain our new weight, you will actually allow your body fat from a cellular level to reset and hold on to that fat level. So that way, if you do fall off your diet for a vacation or whatever, it's it's not likely you're going to bump up over that weight. So we all know the case of you lose some weight and then you take a week or two off and then it seems like your body just wants to start increasing back to that weight you started at. Well, that's because it's your body fat set point. Or for people who want to gain weight, it's like you gain weight and then you take a week off the gym and you lose weight right back to that. It's the same thing. Our body likes to stay at a certain set point. So this can be a good way to reset those set points so you can stay at your new body fat level for the rest of time. Next question. We got Tara. Tara hit me up on Instagram today and I thought it would be funny to throw this in. Um, I posted something on my story. So I was at, uh, as you guys know, I'm doing my 90 days of CrossFit. Right now I'm doing uh, CrossFit three times a week. Um, and and I'm, I'm doing this from a competitive standpoint. Like I'm, I'm going to do the open. I want to compete in a local CrossFit meet sometime in 2018, a competition. Um, so I'm going hard at it. And, and it was funny because I posted a picture of my hand and my callus ripped so bad today that there was blood all over the bar. I felt bad for the gym, but it was, it was gross. Still kind of messing with me. It hurts pretty bad. Ripped a good chunk of my hand off. But Tara said, replied to that and said, now that you are in CrossFit, what are your thoughts on kipping pull-ups? So kipping pull-ups in my mind are still not a great thing. I don't really like them personally. I think that it's one of those things where it's just not proper movement patterns and it's still hard for me to do, right? Like there's a lot – I think my biggest issue in CrossFit while I'm competing and doing stuff is – removing myself from pop proper form or a neutral spine or focusing on these little things that I need to essentially look at sport versus function, right? So I do kipping pull-ups um, when I'm at CrossFit and when there is a time marker that I'm competing against. I am competing against myself and I'm recording everything I do because I want to get better at this. And at the end of the day, if I can properly do a kipping pull-up, it will improve my speed of how fast I can get the the amount of reps given done in order to win what I'm doing um, and beat myself every time from a time perspective. So yes, I do kipping pull-ups, um, but not often. If there's a timer going, if we're doing it, I do it. Um, if there's 10 pull-ups and there's it's not for time, I do strict pull-ups every single time. I also never do butterfly pull-ups. Um, I know how to. I just believe that it can be uh, kind of wear and tear on your shoulders, kind of wear and tear on your rotator cuff. I would rather stay away from them and when I do kipping pull-ups, I'm actually pretty good about making sure my form is on point and I'm actually focusing on where my scapula is going while I'm doing the movement. So um, at the end of the day, Tara, I am doing kipping pull-ups. I am doing them moderately and I'm doing them when I am competing against myself, which is only when the timer is going and when it's when it's a workout that I know I'm going to do again and I want to beat myself in. All right. Next question, Ian. Ian, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give you props, man. Um, Ian Dickinson. So he's uh, again. These are coming from the uh, most of them are coming from the Mind vs Muscle team page. If you're not in there, click the link in the show notes. Uh, there's gonna be a few links in there, so click the right one. But you'll get in there. Um, man, he was on it. I posted Q and A Q&A podcast. What's on your mind? Drop a comment below, and it was like, boom, he was ready, and even said. I was legit wondering when you were going to do a podcast so I can ask this question, and I thought that was hilarious, but um, he's ready to go. So his question is, how many online clients do you think one trainer can reasonably handle at one time? I think this depends on your level of 
one commitment, uh, your level of organization, um, your level of help. Like, are you doing this alone? Um, are you training in person? How often are you training in person? Um, so I can't speak for everybody because I know some people that say they don't do any more than 15 because that's all they can handle. But I also know that they have other things going on in their life. I have a good amount of clients right now, well over 15, and I handle it just fine because I know how to organize my time. I've learned over the last few years how to do this properly, um, and I manage my time extremely well, and that's my main focus. So when I was training in the gym Monday through Friday, working with clients uh, in person a lot, I wasn't handling as many clients online simply because I didn't have the time. I had a lot of in-person clients that I needed to take care of, and at the end of the day, it's a lot of program design. Um, now, because I only train three people in person, I train Kaiza, I train uh, my boy Chris Hippa, and I train a, a client named Adam up in Seattle. Um, and then every once in a while, I'll do a session one on one. But because my time is is mainly online now, I have a lot more time to devote to that. So that's like we look at people who have a day job. Like this is what I do for a living. So I, I'm up at 5 a.m. I take an hour to myself and then from 6 to 5 p.m. I, I'm grinding. And all that time is dedicated to boosting my business and uh, and just catering to my clients. Um, and obviously I think this is a big thing to point out too. I'm done by 5. So the point with that is I have balance in my life. Like at 5 p.m., Shannon's off. So sometime between 5 to 5.30, she comes home. I get off my computer and the rest of the day is spent with her for her. And that's and that's that. But having that balance in my life allows the next day to be easy to stay focused. Like I grind and grind and grind and go and, and it's not an issue for me because I'm not working 24-7. Where in the past, I would work all damn day and I would get burnt out and then my productivity would be shit. Um, but anyway... I think it really depends. Um, I think people, uh, you know, I know people who, uh, I, my mentor had 167 clients at one time. Like, and, and the thing with that is he obviously burnt himself out and he got a team now uh, underneath him. But at the same time, it just shows you that like his clients all got results and his clients all were happy. And they felt like, you can ask him, they felt like they were the only client he had. Like he devoted time to them. Um, he sacrificed a lot personally. And that's why he had to systemize things. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I think that's the key. Like how are you systemizing things? Um, so so I really think it depends. I know uh, for me when I start hitting uh, – like, and it also depends too. My mentor only does nutrition coaching, right? So at one point I felt I could only handle up to like 30 clients at once. Um, but then I freed up my time. I systemized things. I got way more organized and then I passed that 30 marker and now it's really easy for me to handle well over that, especially because I offer nutrition and just, uh, or just nutrition and training in nutrition. So some clients, uh, need more of my time than others. Some clients need more program design than others. Um, so I think it really depends on the person. I think everybody should start small and they should slowly work up, uh, to what they can handle. And I think that the powerful thing of a coach is actually being able to answer to that question personally because if you go over what you can actually handle then you are doing your clients a disservice and that is something I'm very clear about so for me personally I will even tell people hey I'm not taking any more clients on right now even if they apply or I won't respond to their application because um, I know I'm at my limit right um, and, and I would rather stop at that limit serve those people to the utmost and then uh, when I feel comfortable taking on more people, I take on more people. And like I said, I'm comfortable taking on more people now because I have a created a system around everything I do. Um, 
and yeah, so and I think it depends if you have a team, right? I don't have a team right now. I'm currently looking for an assistant to help me out with some things. Um, and once I have that, it's just going to free up more time so I can do more with clients. So I think it really depends where you're at. Everybody should start small and work your way up, um, obviously, to a, to a higher amount. Ashley Robertson, thoughts on collagen supplements for joint recovery. So I think collagen is great. I, I've never been a huge fan uh, or a, a huge advocate of it just because I never – invested in. I never took the time to go get some, right? Um, If you read Deep Nutrition um, or uh, How to Heal Your Metabolism, both really good books, have a lot of good information on nutrition. And both of those books talk about uh, bone broth. They talk about collagen. They talk about um, these things that can actually help a lot. Um, Collagen and bone broth are both two things that can directly help your metabolism, can directly help your thyroid, can directly help recovery of tissues, but it can also help recovery of joint tendons. So the amino acids inside of collagen are uh, essentially specially designed, I guess you could say, to help heal tendons within your body, which is huge. So I'm a huge fan of them because of that exact reason. I think that it works really well, and I am a per, uh, like on a personal level. I started taking uh, so Kaiza hooked me up with Vital Proteins, who she's sponsored by, and she started giving me uh, just regular uh, beef collagen, marine collagen, which is from fish, bone broth. Um, they make whey protein, so Vital Proteins is a great brand, and I daily put. Uh, either beef or marine collagen in my coffee and I was drinking bone broth every single night. I just ran out yesterday, so I'm going to order some more. Um, I'm a huge fan. I think it's it's helped so much on inflammation across my body, um, gut health, uh, joint inflammation. And it's actually helped my low back a lot. So obviously you get inflammation in, in the lumbar spine and the discs of your, uh, of your spine. So I'm a huge fan. I think it's great. I think it's an all-natural supplement. If you can make your own bone broth or get natural bone broth, that's probably the best way to go. But either way, collagen supplementation is great uh, because of the amino acid inside, because of the um, all the collagen inside, obviously. Um, and there's another there's another huge thing. I think it's glycerin. Uh, glycerin uh, it's not what it is. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I don't know why. It's on the tip of my tongue. There's a word with a G, and it's in, it's one of the main ingredients inside of collagen, and I think it's huge and super important. important. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan. I think bone broth's great. I think collagen's great, and I would recommend it to anybody who needs help with their joint inflammation, who has creaky, achy joints, or who has gut issues. Or if uh, going back to the first question we talked about, not the book one, the second one, um, Sarah Patterson talking about ways to increase your metabolism or reduce inflammation. I should have said that right off the bat. I think bone broth is great for that. Um, So yeah, highly, highly recommended. All right, we got some more questions that just popped up. So I'm going to do those while I'm on the mic. Chalice Michelle Hammy. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Best way to train a young athlete. 14 years old who truly lacks the coordination to perform basic movements and base because there is an end goal to be significantly better the pressure from parents is on to make her better in strength and conditioning but it's hard to move forward when she struggles with simple movements so progression is hard this is the first client i've had that comes from knowing nothing about strength and conditioning sorry if it's sloppy post i'm i'm in a meeting responding to the post (laughs) She's in a meeting, but she's getting shit done in the group. I love it. So she's asking the best way to train a young athlete essentially. Um, I would honestly say ignore the noise. Uh, There's a lot of shit on Instagram. There's a lot of shit on uh, social media. There's a lot of shit on YouTube. Like 
doing crazy ladder drills and doing crazy ballistic sprints and crawl like I would take every single kid and go down to the basic fundamental movement patterns squat hip hinge learn how to properly sprint like what's your gait actually look like sprinting is not an easy thing and shit it's a very mechanical thing so look at the mechanics of someone's sprint pattern make sure they're sprinting good lock down the basic fundamental movements and then do things like crawling rolling jumping you don't need to be doing olympic lifts or chaos drills or all these crazy things i would focus on like the most basic stuff right um so in, in as easy as a way of I can explain this, look at the fundamental movement patterns. Squat, hinge, push, pull, core. Focus on those above all else. For coordination stuff, you can do really simple stuff like ball tosses. So if I'm holding a ball and I bounce it, you have to catch it, right? I can bounce it to the left, right, straight at you, up in the air, down low, and your job is to react, respond, grab it, and throw it back as fast as possible. Basic stuff like that, just working motor units and movement patterns and just getting coordination locked in with how their body's moving is going to be the best way to go for young athletes. does not need to be crazy. And most importantly, she's 14. Make it fun. I see a lot of people drilling. This is how like great athletes just stop performing and stop playing because their parents make sports a job. Make this shit fun for them. Have them crawling around. Have them playing tag. Like literally tag is such a great way to train youth athletes. Tag or even crawl tag, right? Make games out of everything you do and it will help quite a bit. All right. Last question of the podcast. We got James Cross. How to address undereating due to stress. Um, the easiest way to handle this is reduce the stress, right? So I see a lot of people trying to uh, mop the floor while the ceiling is leaking, so to speak. Okay, let's work on upping your calories. Let's look, work on setting reminders to eat and stuff. Well, the issue is, is that the person is stressed out and they're not going to eat. So the best thing to do is fix the uh the thing that's causing the pain right even if that's referring out to a therapist right but you got to find ways to reduce her stress whether that's meditation whether that's creating space whether that's removing the the negative surroundings and environments around them but you got to got to got to try your best to remove the stress once they remove the stress and they're happier they will likely have a more of an appetite and then you can focus on their nutrition so i would just say anything to help reduce the stress that could be meditation it could be setting up play dates right so for me once a week i purposely have to plan something in my calendar that is non-work related that is fun okay last week i went to the sounders conference uh, finals had a blast this week I'm doing the same thing during the MLS Cup. I'm a soccer fan. So for me, I have to have fun. Once a week, that keeps my stress levels down, right? Meditation is another thing. I use the Calm app. I do that every day. So certain things like that I think will help a lot. Um, and then if somebody's just chronically under eating, that's a whole different ball game. Um, you can go to my Instagram at Cody.BoomBoom. I just I did an infographic not long ago that's like 10 signs that you are under eating. Really, really powerful uh, symptoms and things you can look out for. But the main thing, again, is you got you to gotta fix the, the root cause, right? So fix the stress. Environment is usually a big piece of that, but, but that's going to be the biggest thing. Reduce the stress and their appetite will come back. 
All right, guys, that is all I got for you. Real quick, one more time, if you are interested in the Nutrition Hierarchy, the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet, my new ebook I just released, there's a link in the uh, show notes now. I'm also going to put a link in the show notes for the newsletter I wrote on 13 ways that you can know your metabolism is not working, um, so you can learn more about that after Sarah's question. And then I'm also going to put a link to the sh- in the show notes to get in the Mind vs. Muscle team page, okay? So a lot of links in the show notes. So do yourself a favor and go check those out now. Once again, guys, I appreciate you all so much for listening. We would love it if you could go to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and review so we can continue to put effort, time, and just more info out for you guys um, in general on this podcast because we love doing it and we love sharing this information with you guys so you can learn, you can grow, and you can get better results across the board in your life. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you guys next time.